0: Luke chapter 2, I guess every one of us in here knows that Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem, and uh, the details of that birth are given to us in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through to 7. And it came to pass in those days because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the time of the year when many churches, including this one, remember and celebrate the birth of a very special boy. And that birth took place in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. I say about, we don't really know for sure. We don't know What month, what day of the month, we don't know what year exactly, about 2,000 years ago. Never mind the fact that we did precisely that, remembered and celebrated the birth of that very special boy in our Sunday morning studies of Luke's Gospel about five months ago. Also, never mind the fact that the birth of Jesus is something to be celebrated not just in December, but throughout the year, never mind those things. Mary, who was engaged or espoused to be married to Joseph, she lived in Nazareth in Galilee. That meant that she travelled about 70 miles to Bethlehem. It's a long way when you're pregnant, Uh, and she didn't travel in an air-conditioned car or anything like that. We don't really know her mode of transport, perhaps a donkey, perhaps a camel. I don't know. It wouldn't have been particularly comfortable. I went on a camel for, how long was it now, 10, 15 minutes a couple of weeks ago, and um, I thought I was going to break my back. But uh, I wouldn't wouldn't wish it on anyone, certainly not a pregnant woman. And she was engaged to be married to Joseph at that time. And the reason for Mary and Joseph making that journey, that 70-mile journey, was that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed or register for tax. In response to that imperial decree, Mary and Joseph they travelled to the city of David, to Bethlehem, to register for tax, because they were of the house and lineage of King David. So they were following the orders of the emperor by making that journey to Bethlehem. More importantly, understand that everything that happened did so in accordance with God's eternal decree. In everything, we should uh, look above and beyond the, the decrees of men, including what's happening in the world right now. If you follow the news, current events, if you're one of those people, I am, uh, for better or for worse. And I tend to look at everything with a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview worldview. And I think we ought to do that. And as we see things happening in the world, um, good things, bad things, uh, whatever it is that we see going on in the world, we ought to be thinking and uh, appreciating that God is in control of everything. And that things don't simply happen because people in high places... (coughs) make decisions, invariably the decisions that people make will be selfish decisions because every decision that's made by man is tainted with sin but again we have to look above and beyond the decisions of men whether they be emperors, kings, presidents, prime ministers doesn't matter and we can be sure That ultimately God is in control of all situations. I find that very comforting, very, very reassuring. And it enables me to get up in the morning and not be, not get up in despair at what I, what I hear and what I see in this world. So God, is in control. Everything happens ultimately by God's eternal decree. As can be seen in Old Testament prophecy when it comes to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and Caesar Augustus making that decree that everyone should go to their house, uh, to their city where they, they come from, their, their de- of their descent, to register for tax. We see that ultimately God was in control of that situation. In the prophecy of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, it is written, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. That's clearly a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ whose goings have been from old, from everlasting. That prophetic verse shows that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom, his kingdom which is a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world, all those things were appointed by God before the foundation of the world, and then sealed in prophecy. Can you see how the great events of this world, the big decisions that are made by very important people, again, even kings and emperors, are all under God's control. When you see a prophecy tucked away in Micah, most of us would have a job even finding that book in the Old Testament. But it's there, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, that clearly speaks of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Can you see that they're all under God's control, those decisions, and ultimately they will most certainly be carried out according to God's great and unchangeable plans. As it is written in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Think about it. All those important people when they met in Egypt not long ago, the COP 27 summit, when they all got together. And in effect, they were conspiring against the lord and about against his christ they didn't start their meetings in prayer they didn't uh, go in their private jets to sharm el sheik with a desire the heart desire to honor and glorify their maker almighty god that's for sure but even so god overrules on all of these things and when our leaders conspire they get together And conspire against the Lord and against his Christ. We can be sure that God will be glorified. And that his purposes will prevail. Why is that? Because as I've said, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Can you imagine that? That mighty hand of God. Kings, emperors, presidents, prime ministers in God's hand, and he steers them wherever he wants to, according to his good pleasure and for his glory. We'll see more of God's overriding purposes at the end of this talk. But for now, let's open our hymn books and turn to 209. One that we all know, O little town of Bethlehem, 209, on all of these things. And when our leaders conspire, they get together and conspire against the Lord and against his Christ. We can be sure that God will be glorified and that his purposes will prevail. Why is that? Because as I've said, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Can you imagine that? That mighty hand of God. Kings, emperors, presidents, prime ministers in God's hand. And he steers them wherever he wants to. According to his good pleasure and for his glory. That little child born in Bethlehem. About 2,000 years ago, we can consider now that he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Of all the billions of childbirths throughout history, what was so special about the birth of Jesus that 2,000 years later we should still be remembering and celebrating that birth in a way that no other birth has ever been celebrated. The answer to that one can be found in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23 where it is written Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel." which being interpreted is God with us. Once again, we see that that is the fulfilment of prophecy. We've seen that with Jesus being born in Bethlehem. That was prophesied in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, but also... What I've just read to you here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I say that this is the fulfilment of prophecy. Let me just put you on the spot here. Does anyone know what that prophecy is? The prophecy that is directly relevant to what you can read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Have a look at Isaiah. It's in Isaiah. I'm getting clever with you here, but I'm beginning to doubt myself. I think it's Isaiah 7.14, or have I got it wrong? Yeah, it's right. Here we go. Once again, prophecy. Once again, We're talking about over 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And what does it say in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14? Chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name immanuel and what do you know over 800 years later we see those words being fulfilled with the birth of jesus and once again this is something where we see prophecy we 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 can take it back even further this was always god's plan Long before God even said, let there be light. And there was light. It always was God's purpose. For his son to be born of a virgin in a place called Bethlehem. There's nothing in the Bible to suggest that Mary's pregnancy or the birth of Jesus were in and of themselves anything out of the ordinary. It's not how baby Jesus exited the woman's womb that is so unique, that is so amazing. It is the entering in or the conception that is so amazing. And that is because Mary had never been with a man. We see that she was a virgin, and that was truly a miracle of miracles, that she should conceive and bring forth a son. Mary couldn't understand it as such. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 34, she asked the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel replied, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Virgin Mary was to give birth to the Son of God. God manifest in the flesh. And so it is that in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, concerning Jesus, it is written, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. One of the amazing things is that in that little baby, miraculously conceived, and brought forth by a virgin dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Think about it. That little baby that was born in Bethlehem about 2000 years ago is the God of all creation. I say think about it. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm stating the obvious to you here. And I'm saying it as clearly as I possibly can. That that little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger is or was the Son of God. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is worth dwelling on. Not just now continue to do so. Truly amazing. And I say that because there are people meeting up, even today, in in, in so-called churches. They're anything but churches. And they will call themselves Christians. And yet, they will deny that Jesus is God. They've completely missed it. They've missed the wonder of and the miracle of the virgin birth. That the virgin brought forth the Son of God. And the Bible couldn't be clearer, could it? the Bible couldn't be clearer. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And our little baby laying in a manger was God in the flesh. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. I know I'm getting repetitive now, but I feel the need to in these days of lies and heresies that prevail in the church. I tell you something, only yesterday I heard that one of the big churches in Douglas is doing a joint service for Christmas with the Christian Science Church. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, the Christian scientists, they deny the divinity of Jesus, period. They're heretics, and yet one of the big churches in Douglas is having a joint service with them. It's a complete and utter mess. We need to hang on to this simple truth, which... By the grace of God, you will enjoy doing and you will celebrate that truth and rejoice in that truth that that little baby that was born of a virgin is very God. He laid the foundations of the earth, the heavens are the work of His hands according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10. All things were made by him, by Jesus, the Son of God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Think about that, the Creator God, and think about him laying in a little manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. We've considered... The little baby Jesus, born in Bethlehem, according to the decree of Augustus Caesar, the emperor. More importantly, we've considered that that birth was was in accordance with prophecy. It was the fulfilment of prophecy. We've seen that that little baby Jesus is very God. We've just been singing that, haven't we? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail! the Incarnate Deity. Lovely words there by Charles Wesley. When the Eternal Son of God exchanged his heavenly throne for a cattle trough and his royal robes for swaddling clothes, what was it all about? Why? Why did he become flesh and dwell amongst men? Sinful men, hell-deserving sinners, like each one of us in here. What was God's overriding purpose for sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world? Why? The answer is clearly and simply given in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where the angel came to Joseph. "...in a dream, and said concerning Mary, "'She shall bring forth a son, "'and thou shalt call his name Jesus, "'for he shall save his people from their sins.'" There we go, there's the reason for it all. "'Thou shalt call his name Jesus, "'for he shall save his people from their sins.'" Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that saying is worthy of all acceptation. Again, in accordance with God's eternal decree, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, we considered that Not long ago in our communion service here. It wasn't some kind of a knee-jerk reaction from God. Two thousand years ago. God didn't look down from heaven and think, things are getting pretty bad down there, I need to do something. Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And once you start to think about what that means then you really do give yourself something to think about. Again, even before God said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And as days unfold and as this world continues and One day Jesus will return. But the focal point of world history is Jesus being lifted up to die on a cross. And on that cross we see something of God's glorious attributes. Those attributes didn't just come into being 2,000 years ago. They are God is They they belong to God. His glorious attributes always were. So God is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. He is a holy God. A just God. An angry God. And we see all of those attributes at the cross. And it's when you belong to Jesus... And you recognise that the one who was nailed to a cross and lifted up to die is the incarnate Son of God. The one who came into the world as a little baby. It's only when you see Jesus for who he really is that you see something of who God is. What am I saying there? The whole world knows God in a sense. God has made himself known to everyone by the things that he has created. We see something of the power of his God, a power of God, his creative handiwork. Furthermore, everybody has God's, the works of God's law written in their hearts. So when they do something wrong, which is every, which is all the time, but to varying degrees, our conscience accuses us or excuses us. Why is that? God has laid it on our hearts, all of us, the works of His law. So everybody in the world knows something of God. And the atheist knows that there is a God. Though he says in his heart, there is no God. God has made himself known to the atheist. But we only really see God when we see Jesus, the Son of God, through the eye of faith lifted up to die on the cross, bearing away sin in his own body. Finally, we've just considered the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was miraculously conceived and brought forth by a virgin. We've seen that he came into the world to save his people from their sins. That's what we saw in Matthew Chapter 1 and verse 21. He came to save His people from their sins. Therefore Jesus did not come into the world to save everyone. He came to save His people. Who are His people? It's a reasonable question. If it's not everyone, then who is it? Who are His people? They are all who believe that Jesus was perfectly, sinlessly obedient to God's law from the cradle to the grave to the cross where he was wounded for their transgressions where he had the guilt of all their depravity laid upon him. Remember that he is the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, God veiled in flesh. His people believe that he came into the world to bear away their sins at the cross. Jesus is coming again. But he's not coming as a little baby. He's coming as judge of all the earth. And his people, those he came to save, they say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And they don't, they don't qualify that statement with, but I, can you just hang on until I achieve my various ambitions and see my children grow up and, um, and, and what, this, that and the other. They say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, as they sing the praises of the God of their salvation. Knowing that when He does come again, it will be in God's perfect time. Just as it was in the fullness of time, God's perfect time, when Jesus came into this world, born of a woman, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem his people from the law, from the demands of the law. A broken law. He came into the world to bear the curse of that broken law upon himself in the place of his people. And now his people say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, as they sing his praises. Join that happy throng. Repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that you are his people. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Amen.